Heru Shemsu and Same. Sometimes the sacred literature refers to the Heru Shemsu, or followers of Heru, the body of kings who had given up their mortal existence and maintained the Horian mandate through the living royal house. As first described in the Dynasty V Pyramid of Pepi, where the king assumes the form of Anpu, he is told that he has propitiated the followers of Heru. This shows that he has completed the mission of his ancestral mentors. After this has occurred, he descends to a holy field before entering the bark of the sun, and the followers of Heru purify him, a reference to the cleansing and offering ceremonies they conducted solely on behalf of the king and the opening of his mouth. What was the purpose of this enigmatic group, and who were its members? According to Diodorus's reports, Demigods ruled Egypt until the first mortal king Mena took the throne in Dynasty I. Moreover, the demigods, who were the priestly caste in pre-dynastic times, instituted the Horian mysteries to raise the royal bar to join with the bar's creation through the Pharaonic investiture, initiating the king into the sacred mysteries of the throne so that he could guide Egyptian society to become Mart was the role of this caste. In order to awaken in him the attributes of the ancient demigods, this body performed elaborate ceremonies during the pharaoh's ascension to the throne and his crowning of him. They were believed to descend from two legendary houses, foremost the souls of Peh from Lower Egypt, who worshipped the falcon as their cultic image. Pharaoh received the red crown and the wajet cobra from them. At the ancient capital of Buto, they managed two sacred precincts, the Per Nezer, Temple of Fire, and the Per Nu, Temple of Water. Their sacred enclosure at Necheb was the Per Ur, Exalted House, a name that may have been the root of the Greek word pharaoh. They gave the white crown to the king, which was protected by the vulture Nechebet. They were collectively known as the souls of Heliopolis, and controlled the jewel sanctuaries of the royal court as seen in Dioser's sanctuaries at Saqqara. The Egyptians believed they were the source from which the solar priests at the Heliopolis Temple of the Sun descended. Shemsu's legendary authority extended to many sacred duties. In the tomb, the Samer performed the role of Heru Shemsu, the kin or friend. He performed the intimate, exclusive ritual of opening the mouth for the deceased and fulfilled the mission of the elite body that passed on the sacred act that Heru performed for his father to restore his powers. In the temple, the Samer performed the mouth ceremony's daily opening, empowering the temple's heavenly forces to activate the sacred space. The ultimate achievement of this fraternity was the investiture and enthronement of kings. By manifesting their bars, the visible manifestation of their powers, their Heru Shemsu advanced the initiate into the realm of the gods. Because of the fusion of Heru and his adversary Set, Heru gained the initial power necessary to create these symbioses as his special prerogative. Sacred texts show that a fusion within the individual was the prerequisite to assuming the forms of the Neteru, a process that emulates the prototypical joining of Heru and Set. The coffin texts depict a scenario where Asa and Ra commune in the tomb. This mystical union takes place in Mendes, the city of the Ram God. The name for Sol and Ram in prehistoric Egypt was the same, Ba. The central relief in the tomb of Nefertari in the Valley of the Queens illustrates this process. Ram-headed mummies are described as the soul of Ra that rests in Asa and Asa that rests in Ra. The early Egyptologists interpreted this as evidence of religious syncretism, but the image has an esoteric significance. Asa, the lunar deity, is lord of the Ka. Ra, the solar deity, is lord of all the Ba in nature. Essentially, their fusion is a union between the vital etheridge force of the body and the soul, which has the power to travel through the regions of the gods. A new entity is created from this act nurtured by the physical forces on earth and the subtle energies emanating from the sky. The Power of the Solar Initiation In the Old Testament, order and power are given by the gods and cannot be given to mortals. 
Instead, they must be passed on, as Asa and Ra's powers were passed on to Heru. Accordingly, kingship required a dedication to the sacred roles personified in Heru and the Solar Principle. In exchange, the royal prince had two significant powers, maintaining order and gaining, using, and transmitting divine energy. Pharaohs present the Mart symbol to the gods in royal inscriptions to maintain order. The Neteru can thus be assured that the royal person has preserved the solar harmony expressed initially in the rites of kingship and is exerting continued effort to sustain it. Representations of the king exercising his power depict a unique scenario. After the daily ritual in the temple, the royal person, or his priestly representative, embraces and receives the god's sacred image, becoming charged with divine power. He shares what he has received from the divine source with them in his immediate surroundings. Artum poured his life force, Sa, into his first creations, Shu and Tefnut, when he gave them this mystic embrace. Humans, animals, homes, and temples were protected by Sa, the fluid of life. The cosmic landscape is maintained with indivisible energy, bringing and restoring life to all its recipients. A Sar amulet could protect a person's body, and a house could be safeguarded by placing Sar images in wall niches surrounding the house, or burying the amulets facing the directions from which psychic attacks were expected. Inscriptions from temples disclose that those who possessed Sar, the gods, royals, and certain priests, could transfer it by embracing another and then passing their hands from the nape of the neck to the lower vertebrae with the hands placed on the back. It was also possible to receive the sa from a god by carrying its image, a ceremony which was part of the temple's daily ritual, and certain rites requiring healing and exorcism. Sa's possession in its most potent form and its dispensation to the environment culminated in the monarch's evolution. However, the kingship did not automatically provide the lessons of its use. King Egypt's annals tell of their glorious deeds in battle, but very few convey the impression that genuinely divine conduct was prevalent in their everyday lives. Wadi Mir, a small remote temple in the eastern desert of Upper Egypt, is one exception. Seti I led this expedition to find gold far from the civilized territory but he was incredibly moved by the harsh conditions of the desert, according to the record. The king is said to have stopped to take counsel in his heart, and said, When you go without water, how painful is it? Furthermore, how do you quench your thirst in the wilderness? How can travelers quench their thirst? I plan to provide the means for them to be sustained, so that I may be praised. Seti placed these words in his heart, and searched for a place in the desert to dig a well where the gods guided him, and by his hand, water rushed forth in significant quantities. Seti's ethical concerns were not only rewarded with the discovery of the well, but an expedition to find another gold source was also bountifully blessed by the gods. He donated much of the wealth to the sanctuary he built at Abydos. Through their combined actions, Mart and Sa produce moral intelligence, the realization of the solar transformation, and the divine power of kings. The royal embrace is the reunifying force in all divisions and the catalyst for restoring harmony impelled by true sovereignty. As Heru brought a new life to his father, it is undoubtedly the elite's original touch of grace to its recipients. Solomon's Chronicles, Hammurabi's Golden Precepts, and Arthur's Legends are examples of this gift. A Stellar Transformation Asa, my father, has been cast to the earth, and I come to you, O Nut. Heru has left me behind. My Ba has called me forth, and its energy has equipped me. My wings have grown, and my head is adorned with plumes of a sacred falcon. Utterance 245 in the cycles of initiation in the lunar and solar fields of time, the substance of transformation is the physical form, subject to cycles of growth and dissolution, light and dark. The annual appearance of Soptet heralds the return of the Nile floods 
evoking a renewal of creation itself in sacred astronomy. During the timeless time, the waters of Nun precipitated the emergence of cosmic life. In the stellar transformation foreshadowed by this event, initiation raises the physical body to the celestial plane to metamorphose it into a divine body. By fusing with stellar powers, it travels through celestial regions and brings them to Earth. It was a shamanic tradition of very ancient origin, brought forward by the temple's elite for initiates from the sacred lineages of the royal house and divine house. It endows the recipient with knowledge of the gods, the ability to absorb their forces, and the ability to become incorporated into their universe. In these doctrines, the heavenly body exists after the material vehicle is discarded. In Egypt, death is not a prerequisite for transformation, but a chance for transformation. Egypt's religious mysteries are based not only on the transubstantiation of the body into a divine vehicle. All the world's religions articulate it as a spiritual goal. Building and adopting the Vajrakaya, or diamond body of Buddhism, is the culmination of all spiritual endeavors. These spiritual aims adhere to the resurrection body of Christianity, but physical death is implied. Similarly, the Kabbalistic Zilem. Several legends associated with Auset contain the mythological foundations of the stellar initiation. It begins with her miraculous restoration of the Asa after she has obtained the sacred knowledge of the Ahuti to imbue him with a life, a process that uses the magical embrace, the transference of Sa into his inert body. Heru is then conceived miraculously, bringing the seed of Heru-Ur to life. Nut created seeds before she was born in the heavenly realm. The chronicle details Heru's acquisition of the sun god's most secret name, a power that would ensure Heru's inheritance of the solar throne. The mighty name she has gained is passed on to her son and his descendants after the poison diminishes Ra's strength. In ancient times, parthenogenesis was associated with both Neit and Auset. Neit was believed to have originated from her substance in ancient times, as she was neither male nor female. Furthermore, she could divine the human sexes when she created the human seeds. Auset joined back together with the male and female principles in the Osirian mythos. Thus, Heru was conceived without Heru's conscious involvement. While these mythic ingredients may represent metaphysical processes that occur in a non-physical setting, they appear consistently in the transformational landscape of the pyramid texts. According to this concept, the goddess in her form as Sopdet, the star Sirius, is endowed with the power to bring life, whom she fuses with the vital force of the initiate in her role as the woman who lights the darkness, impelling the metamorphosis from earthly to divine existence to take place. Alset comes to you rejoicing in his love for you. She is ready as Sopdet as soon as your seed issues into her. Heru, who is in Sopdet, has issued a document on behalf of Heru Sopdet in his name. Utterance 593. Although it should be viewed metaphorically, the imagery in this passage cannot be overlooked. A seed of one's former existence is absorbed here by Auset, incubating in her womb until it becomes the fruit of its ultimate, intended form. This gestation through Sopdet is the great mystery of the stellar transformation. Through her, the exalted soul is incorporated into cosmic life. In the Solar Horian and the Lunar Osirian passages, Auset serves as the conduit to a new existence, and the true nature of this initiation is the stellar Suthic mystery. In this process, Jehuti lends the primordial Hekau of creation to the goddess, allowing her to raise her consort and express the solar principle in a new but prototypical form, Heru-Ur. Therefore, she is the key to the metamorphosis of the stellar Suthic mystery and the progenitor of the first two initiations leading to it, raising the father and bearing the son. As the ritual texts reveal, the phenomena of this star were undoubtedly connected to the supreme mysteries of the stellar transformation. At the beginning of the inundation in the Pyramid Age, Sopdet rose heliacally to the summer solstice. 
Pharaoh's Heb said festivals which granted him powers of the Neteru and millions of years before this cosmic event culminated in the star's appearance at dawn at the same time that the royal person appears in the court of Heb Seb, reborn and renewed. The significance of Sopdet's arrival with her father. The sun was a reenactment of the legendary event when she dispelled Ra's poison. His sacred name was revealed to the living in a ceremony that elevated the initiate above the transitory cycles of the sun and moon and into the realm of eternal, luminous duration. The Pyramid of Initiation The pyramids were believed to be the supreme repository of Egypt's secrets for centuries. They were places of enduring memory for the dead. There are 34 known pyramids on the western bank of the Nile, all of which are part of elaborate complexes that incorporate causeways, temples, and satellite pyramids. For centuries, these surrounding buildings served as mortuary temples where the rites of the dead king were performed, and the funeral was conducted before the ultimate burial within the pyramid. Known as the alleged burial places of kings, they were a testimony both to the egocentric power of the royal temple and the abject submission of his subjects to the pharaonic power. The prevailing opinion was that the purpose of all pyramids was strictly funerary until the Dynasty V Pyramid of Unas was opened in 1881. As modern eyes studied the voluminous hieroglyphic inscriptions within this monument and others that appeared from the nearby prehistoric zone of the Saqqara necropolis, a perplexing image emerged. In deciphering the pyramid texts, researchers found a set of rituals intended to be performed within the pyramid either at its construction as a spiritual home for the royal person or a continual evocation of spiritual transformation for anyone who lived there, literally or symbolically. Because each section was preceded by the directive, recite these words, each section was denoted as an utterance in the corpus. Written and spoken words were both considered ritually adequate by the Egyptians, if not the former more so when etched on stone. We do not know why the earlier pyramids were not included, particularly the Giza monuments, which were more significant and more technically advanced than all others. Based on the evolution of Egypt's temple design over the centuries, we can see that the massive, uninscribed simplicity gave way to more complex structures that were covered profusely with every detail of temple life, and its intent became apparent. The time revealed the specifics of ancient traditions reserved high ritual. Inscriptional elaboration in both pyramids and temples in the latter years of their golden ages was motivated by the fear of losing the time-honored infrastructure of the cult to alien forces. From the point of view of sacred astronomy, such changes were undoubtedly recognized and conceded to accommodate the shift in cultural identity brought about by each new astrological age. In the Hermetic Age, 300 BC to 350 CE, the agnostic body of custodians surrendered the exclusive pact with the gods to the divine heir of the Old Kingdom. Sacred texts have been inscribed in the Unas pyramid for the most prolonged period. Scholars had evaluated these texts as ancient when they were written, dating from the unification of Egypt, 4700 BCE in Chronology 1. Moreover, though it seems tangled with the surreal imagery of archaic language and the subtle nuances typical of mystical literature, the real testament explains a ritual that conferred a stellar transformation in enigmatic yet exhilarating terms. Pyramid texts depict a king rising from the primordial waters in a ritual of rebirth. The physical functions underscored the premise that the rite was conferred upon a conscious individual. Ascension from Nun to the solar landscape and rebirth scenes following are examples of coherence in Egypt's esoteric tradition. In these processes, an initiate recapitulates the lunar modification with a baptismal plunge in the primeval waters and boards the sunbark of the solar emergence. Here, the bolts on the doors to heaven are opened and the initiate assumes the forms of Heru, the living sun, and a baboon, 
a representation of Jehuti and the moon, and assumes his seat on the horizon, commences a journey. In the sacred surroundings of the pyramid, the return to the primeval waters would have occupied a place at the entry, and the journey to solar life would have proceeded in an ascending corridor. To unite with Soptet in the heavens, the initiate then entered a higher region in the pyramid to assume the form of a divine hawk. During this phase, Soptet declared, Whose companion, you are a solitary star, so take your place in heaven among the stars. Asar commands the spirits, yet you are separate from him, and not one spirit. Utterance 245 One section of the ritual draws the scenario of this doctrine in terms that have eluded many scholars. According to this so-called initiation text, the initiate retreats from the earth, ascends to heaven, and appears to the sky gods in power. As a result, an elevated symbiosis takes place in the Chamber of Transformation, where the initiate becomes the form of the gods by absorbing their qualities. In the celestial expenses, he becomes a master of wisdom and is recognized by the forces there. Their noble forces are swallowed by the king when he eats their hekot. In the morning, he eats the great ones. In the afternoon, he eats the medium. At night, he eats the small ones. He feeds on the hearts and hekka of the sages, and he relishes living in their lungs. Utterance 273 As part of the theurgic practices of ancient Egypt, ritual tasting and swallowing were ritual initiations. The powers embodied in sacred images, scripts, and substances could become consciously known and absorbed into the body through psychic communion through the mouth. By consuming the gods and their powers described in the pyramid texts, the initiate is endowed with the qualities of the gods. An elaborate ritual drama based on these writings was performed in the pyramids, and several offerings were presented at critical points in the ceremonies. Ingestion of the sacred substances induces the body to absorb godly powers, causing it to undergo a metamorphosis through the absorption of godly powers. Then, a mystic fusion takes place between the initiate and Atum, the All, the Creator itself. The Arch is fabricated, and this fusion becomes a permanent part of the creative landscape of the universe. Praise your iron bones and golden members, for your body is the body of a god. It will not decay, be destroyed, or decompose. May your flesh be born to live. May your life surpass the life of the stars. Utterance 723. In this final ceremony, the initiate is disrobed, beholds the gods, receives his crowns, divine faculties, and receives new offerings from earth to heaven. Ra gives birth to him as a star, and he assumes the form of Nefertum in the nostrils of Ra. He is the master of secrets. A Trismegisti Kakolite of the Thrice Greatest One refers to Hermes, the custodian and dictator of the Hermetic Lectures, as having mastered three disciplines, medicine, architecture, and astronomy. Hermetica lies outside of these secular disciplines. In one verse, the gods and men are described in ways that reveal the purpose and mystery of religion. Man has discovered how gods can be created and made. In the beginning, our ancestors were far from the truth about the gods. They did not believe in them and paid no heed to worship and religion. Then they invented the art of creating gods out of some material substance suitable for the purpose. Aside from that, they added a supernatural force that enabled the images to generate sound or harm and combined it with the material substance. Because they could not make souls, they conjured the souls of demons and instilled them in the statues using certain sacred rites. Chapter 37 of Asclepius III Hermes further reveals to Asclepius in this passage that the student's ancestor, whom we must assume is the legendary Imhotep, was deified and that his predecessor was raised by the ancients in Hermopolis to divinity and given the name Jehuti. In this discourse, art and invention are referred to as dubious concepts, but the goals of Egyptian spiritual initiations were the same, 
making gods, a metaphor for transforming human life into the divine body. The Trismegistus refers to someone who has completed the three initiations of Egypt's esoteric tradition, the lunar Osirian, medicine, the solar Horian, architecture, and the stellar Suthic, astronomy. Is this a vestige of the dynastic initiate known as the Master of Secrets? There are few references to this accomplishment in Egyptian records, but they are intriguing. According to a recently discovered funerary Ushabti of the priest Nesibastet, Dynasty 21, this was his title. It is inscribed with the scarce title Master of the Secrets, and the text from Chapter 5 of the Book of Going Forth instead of Chapter 6, enabling the figure to perform work in the afterlife. Also of the same period, Anu Nemupet's Ushabtis bear the same variant, and like Nesibastet, Amunemupet holds the title Keeper of the Secrets. It states, I am lifting his inert arm. I have left Hermopolis. I am a breathing soul. I have been initiated into the hearts of baboons. It is noteworthy that this excludes the Ushabti owner from working in the afterlife based on their spiritual accomplishments. During the reign of Sinusrit III, he was a high priest at Abydos in Dynasty XII. The Osirian ceremonies were under the command of Ikenufret, who describes some of them. He was involved in the sacred mysteries celebrated in the ancient temple. Neter organized the annual festival, the procession of the gods, and the mystery play that acted out Neter's life. The inscription on his stele describing these events in the Berlin Museum reads, The our priests were diligent in their work and they knew the rituals of every day and the feasts of the seasons. I dressed the Nete's body in his regalia as Kerry Heb in my rank as Master of Secrets. My actions regarding the Nete were pure. In part, the sacred literature records the secrets this title alludes to. Its owner is told in Chapter 161 of the Book of Going Forth that, No outsider knows this secret, and neither do the common folk. Neither your father nor son may perform it on you. Only you may perform it. It is truly a secret that no one should know about. Spells designed to protect the dead from nefarious forces should be kept secret, and we know little about the rites conferring kingship and priesthood, which conferred powers believed to come from the gods. It was the attainment of those powers as a god and possessing the means to bring them into the environment of the living that provided the ultimate secret. There are three initiation paths. Every esoteric tradition seeks to preserve and disseminate spiritual truths through the religious and cultural endeavors of the milieu. In this absence, the tradition perishes, and its adepts relinquish their role in the human endeavor. Was that the case in Egypt during its final years? Probably not. It is still being transmitted to those sensitive to it through incomplete sources such as decaying ruins and records of ancient civilizations. If it is not in motion and performing its work in the world of life, it is meaningless, as are all disciplines concerning the transformation of the human condition. We have failed to accept the bidding of this doctrine that we have fallen away from something that the Egyptians consistently cherished and which we have neglected our connection with natural life and our distinctiveness within it. We must retrieve this sacred key and use it each day before we can be guided toward the excellent destination they spoke about as eternal life. The subsequent fate of the mortal form after the transformation from physical to divine substance showed this god's supremacy over division and dissolution. According to sacred literature, Human beings possess this prominence by nature once they have faced and mastered their native powers. Tradition holds that this magical transformation occurred at Abydos in a timeless time, and where it was enshrined forever. Into the Exalted Land, Ta-Ur, the First Initiation Ancient Egyptian tradition distinguished Ta-Ur, the sacred ground, as the most ancient place of ancestors, as the site of Seti I's temple at Abydos during Dynasty 19. For centuries, 
This was where the annual sacred drama of the Great Going Forth was held, the festival that reenacted the death and rebirth of the Green God. The site was also the site where Seti and his immediate descendants created a monumental effort to commemorate their ancestors by resurrecting an ancient temple complex that would hold the complete kinglists of Egypt, enumerating the divine predecessors that represented the continuation of the Osirian principle via the spiritual clans to which the royal dead belonged. Seven sanctuaries in the temple are dedicated to Seti, Ptah, Harachte, Amun, Asa, Auset, and Heru. They represent the seven phases of the lunar transformation, symbolized by the seven arits or divisions of Sechet Iaru in Asa's domain, which provide the first clue to the site's purpose. Shrines are also dedicated to Nefertum and Ptah Sokar in a southern extension of the temple and a passage leading to a mysterious monument of obscure origin known as the Osireion. As part of Seti's restoration program, this building represents the continuation of a tradition that began ages ago and gained renewed significance to the Ramessides and their descendants. Pliny the Elder reported in the first century of our era that a vast underground labyrinth containing 3,000 apartments existed near the pyramid of Amenemhat III at Hawara. The ancient world was rife with legends of these and other subterranean complexes, and we are told that these sacred districts were where the Osirian mysteries were celebrated. Described as ritual temples, the labyrinths symbolized the underworld, in which the gods presided over an established company of souls in a continuous celebration of Asa's restoration and renewal. Egyptology revealed that the prototypical site of this great mystery was a mound reached from the outside by a winding passage leading to an island on which the body of the slain god rested. A perpetual vigil was kept here by priestesses who assumed the roles of Nebt, Het, and Auset, and the allegorical story of Asa was retold in rites that conferred upon those who crossed this threshold the powers of transcendence and recurrence. Seti's temple predates the Osireion by centuries, as a sacred place, this place serves as a passage to the realm of timelessness. Located 50 feet below the temple's floor level, the Osireion may have once been covered by a tumulus where trees grew, similar to the primeval mound of creation, and the legendary hill where Asa was buried between two willows, his mourning sisters. Many scholars have considered it his interior a recreation of Asa's winding way, an enduring theme found in the underground complexes under the pyramids and repeated on a smaller scale in many tombs. Asa's journey along the Winding Way represents the Celestial Milky Way, which geographically parallels the Nile and represents the initial path of the Wanderer. As embodied in sacred architecture, it provides a space for initiates to journey through the shadow worlds guided by the texts and images inscribed in these rare places, and join with nature's forces. An enigmatic tomb of Ramesses' sons was recently discovered in the Valley of the Kings, 19, and the famed labyrinths described by ancient historians may have originated from this archetypal setting. There was more to the Duat than just the dead. Because Seti restored the Osireion, carried out by his son Ramesses II and grandson Meremptah, the Winding Way was open to all of Seti's descendants and may have been a means of the living to establish communion with the powers of the Shadow Worlds and return to the living empowered by those forces. At first, the Osireion was entered from the northwest, outside the Temenos Wall of Seti's Temple, A. The passage, B, slopes down toward the subterranean complex as it moves south. Starting at the northern end of the passage, the walls of the passage are decorated with colored text from the Book of Gates on the western wall and the Book of What is in the Duat on the eastern wall. At the end of the sloping passage is the vestibule, C, with another small room with vaulted roofs that could have served as incubation chambers similar to those found within Dioses complex Saqqara. In the dim light of torches, 
the room is decorated with texts depicting scenes from the Duat, which would have provided the sojourner with a surreal landscape. In the anteroom, Merempta presents an image of Mart to Ra and Asa, beginning the journey into the Duat with a symbolic gesture. Merempta is shown inscribed in the vestibule worshipping Asa and Heru, the deities of lunar and solar initiation, and a list of the 102 sacred names of Asa. In the Great Central Hall, E, Asa's timeless slumber is portrayed on a sandstone island surrounded by a water channel, upon which ten monolithic red granite pillars once held a vaulted roof. A sizable transverse hall, D, with another vaulted roof, awaits in the realm of the dormant gods. Asa's deepest mysteries were performed here by an assembly of priests and priestesses set apart from the looming emotional crowds who gathered during the annual festival in Abydos. Egyptologists have speculated on what purpose the Osirion may have served for decades since it reopened in 1903. Some reasons it has been discounted as a tomb are, upon discovery, it lacked funerary equipment or identifying texts. A necropolis does not surround it. Its central hall is surrounded by water eight meters deep, which is not ideal for preserving a body. Its presence within underscores this monument's symbolic significance as the dwelling place of Asa, governor of the moon, and the spiritual force of Egypt embodied within the river. In ancient times, the water channel surrounding Osirion was fed by a stone passage running eastward below Seti's temple to an ancient canal connecting it to the Nile. The entire hall is now submerged because of a rise in the area's water table and a permanent height of the river which is no longer affected by rising and falling water levels. In Deodorus, Asa is described as many-eyed, an allusion to his myriad forms as a luminary in the sky. The moon's face changes throughout its cyclic phases, from the new moon to the full moon to a dark orb showing a sliver of light at the end. Asa's connection to this principle was reflected in the mythic elements of his death, restoration, and renewal, as the moon is always associated with the element of water in esoteric symbolism. When he was transformed from mortal to immortal existence, his body was strewn on the river and protected by the waters around his sacred island. Asa also heralded the return of the Nile at inundation, coincident with the return of Orion in the sky following a seasonal disappearance, showing the river's ebb. The Osirion illustrates this symbiosis in its central hall, where two flights of fourteen steps on the eastern and western ends lead down to the water channel and the sandstone island, symbolizing each lunar day when the orb ascends and descends in the sky. An elevated stepped platform in the center represents the resting place of the renewed deity, who was thrown into the water, broken, divided, and emerged whole and restored. The opinions about the platform on the island in the central hall vary among those who have studied the Osirion. Because of Asar's association with sprouting grain in agricultural ceremonies, it has been proposed that barley was placed on a platform and watered to quicken the god's fertile powers for the upcoming growing season. The platform may also be the resting place of an ancient sarcophagus, now gone, that initially held the god's relic. Perhaps this sacred chamber, intended for the living and revered by Seti enough to deserve a complete renovation for the coming ages, served another more sublime purpose. After the initiate crossed the descending passage and confronted the powers of the Duat at the entrance to the Shadow World, she encountered first the deep waters of the central hall. She repeated the god's dissolution, followed by an ascent to the island and an appearance on the platform where life was metaphorically restored to the body in a mystic trance or induced sleep. The sacred land is the place of timeless time, and the ancestral body, the Pauti, where new life can be assured both in this life and the next. The central island is also a recreation of the sacred Isle of Flame, 
the place in the Hermopolitan cosmology where the divine power emerged from the waters of Nun and the Ogdoad of divinities emerged to create the universe. A series of cells, once shuttered by wooden doors, surrounded the central hall, six on each side of the north-south direction, two on the west and three on the east. Having a look and feel of temple chapels, they may have symbolized the realms of the gods within the mythical court who judged Set's crime against Asar and ritually opened to give up on the sleeping initiate the abilities to conscious mastery over the regions of the shadow worlds through which she had traveled. During Seti's restoration, the middle cell was breached, which had already been closed for centuries, revealing a second transverse hall, F, with a dome roof that showcases the most intricately detailed astronomical on its north-end ceilings of the New Kingdom. A mythological text engraved on the walls is believed to be the ritual drama enacted in the sarcophagus room because of its architectural similarities to a funerary chamber. As the renewed god had been welcomed into the world of eternal life after passing through the deepest regions of darkness, the sojourner was called upon to arise and awaken. This goal was to prepare people to exist in the great cycles of the heavens. It is a life-changing experience to have a near-death experience. Having simulated the passage from the world of life to the shadow worlds, did the Osirian mysteries replicate this experience for the initiate? Was it a recreation of the ancient genesis or the embryonic separation of the body from its source? According to Egyptian Egyptologist R.T. Rundle Clark, the experience was designed. Besides weariness or sorrow, Osiris is also asleep. He has lost his ability to know. Seti's massive building campaign represented a perpetual interaction between man and the universe in ancient Egypt starting with their primordial ancestors and extending through the royal clan and myriad travelers through Ta'ur. According to ancient philosophy, living bodies continuously emerge and return to their origins. Despite being inscribed in the deepest layers of physical matter, this knowledge is absorbed by the obstacles and paradoxes of earthly life and becomes lost. In regaining his ability to know or to remember immortality, Asa passed through the winding way it is retrieved. The Osirian mysteries correspond to the Buddhist Nirvana, the transcendence of the cycle of birth and death. The final destination of the mystic process is revealed in the sarcophagus room's ceiling. The ascent to the heaven awaits the renewed soul after Asa's return and emergence from the primeval waters. Among the slain and renewed god regions, one is enveloped by the primeval waters and restored by them. In his chamber of renewal, one can rejuvenate the dark forces represented by the obscurations of the lunar cycle and attain Asa's authority over bodily death. That transformation remains for another day and place. The Exalted House, Per Ur, is the second initiation. In Karnak, one of the great temple titles was Heliopolis of the South, referring to the solar tradition observed by the priests who served in the sacred precinct known as Ipet Saud. Amun manifested the invisible powers of light in this place and gave his initiates the sacred task of kingship that made visible the celestial fire's invisible forces. With the dawn of the Age of Ares, this site became the site of all royal initiations after Amun assumed supremacy as the solar principle. As part of the rites of investiture, the king was ritually fused with all the gods of Egypt, after which he would inherit their powers and acknowledgement. The king would then assume the throne, receive his crown, scepter and regalia, and take control of his royal domain the land and its inhabitants, and the houses of the gods. Ceremonies like these were also infused with deep solemnity and derived from a tradition that was the cornerstone of Egyptian culture. They endowed the recipient with a status that elevated him beyond everyday experience, and they gave those he represented an exaltation that awakened their aspirations for divinity. 
Because Karnak's record of the royal coronation predates the construction of pylons 1 and 2, the route of initiation can be traced to pylon 3, constructed by Amenhotep III during Dynasty 18, and designated as the border of Amun's domain during Dynasty 12. After the rites of royal confirmation, the initiate and officials of the royal court led their mortal successor to the edge of the sacred enclosure and waited to greet the immortal into the world. Through the pylon, the initiate reached the world of divine powers, the region of the gods, B. Upon reaching this point, his secular companions halted and released their charge to the temple's sacerdotal authorities, whose sacred duty was to induct the king into the Heru Shemsu. The initiate was brought into the precinct outside of Pylon 4, C, by a priest dressed as Heru M. Ahuti, the Neter of the Two Horizons. It was here that the initial rite of enthronement was performed, accompanied by the four deities of the Heliopolitan cardinal compasses, Yehuti, South, Set, North, Heru Behutet, East, and Heru Dunawi, West. The latter deity is an enigmatic falcon appearing only in kingship ceremonies. Between pylons 4 and 5, the initiate was taken to a part of the sanctuary designated as the House of the King. This hall was divided into two sections, emulating the two ancient houses of the Heru Shemsu, Per Nezer, North, and Per Ur, South. The coronation took place between two rows of papyrus columns, D. The two ancient protectors of the crown, Nechebet and Wajet, placed their insignia, the falcon and cobra heads, over the Nemes fabric headdress upon the brow of the initiate. Afterward, the solar Aeneat was saluted as a ceremonial image. He was then invested with the royal crowns by the Samir, dressed in the sacred garb of the spotted leopard, in an elaborate ceremony that endowed him with new powers as he received the diadems. It comprised the Hejet crown, the white crown of the Upper Kingdom, feathers, and the horns of Amun, representing the king's Theban genealogy. As the crown of Marf's two plumes with the solar disk, the Ureret represents the pervasive power of light and the foundation of an order introduced by Hermopolitan gods to the monarchy. Symbolizing the primordial powers of the Heliopolitan gods, the Ibis combined the Deshret, the red crown of the lower kingdom, and the two plumes of the Bennu bird. Besides these crowns, the king received the crook and flail of the two lands, the Uaj, papyrus stalk of fertility, and the Uas, staff of power. Other regalia included a giraffe tail, a belt insignia that represented the power to see far away, and royal sandals inscribed with the metaphorical nine captives, an allusion to the enemies that the king walked on. After receiving his crowns, he entered a southern chamber of rose granite, E. The blue Kepresh warrior crown extended the protection of the Memphite gods. The Chupesh, Sickle Sword, and the five sacred names were officially pronounced upon him. He then returned to the procession route, passed through the sanctuary of the solar bark, F, and proceeded to the shrine, G, to be initiated into the high ritual of Amun's house. The ceremony began with the opening of the Nao's door bolts, the awakening of the god, and the Puri flying and feeding the sacred image. Pharaoh's representative in the temple would perform this first ritual act as the divine heir of Neteru and set the rhythm for each divine awakening performed at dawn. Following the sacred rites within the temple, the initiator was presented to the public in an abbreviated form during a ceremony called Karnite, manifestation of the god. After this, he was honored with the Pasachemti, two powerful ones, the double crown, and then he did a ritual circuit of the temple courtyard, taking symbolic possession of the two lands. Each year, at the Ipet festival, a rite of equal profundity and power reaffirmed the divine lineage of the royal person and the reunification of the Theban temples through the journey of Amun from his northern, Karnak, to southern, Luxor, sanctuary. The celebration culminated in a purification ritual for the king, 
followed by a reenactment of his coronation and the reception of divine power from Niteru. This festival endowed Pharaoh with the blessings of the gods and gave him a renewed ability to give those blessings to the land and its people. Three initiations, Ta, Kut, Achet, Light Horizon. Modern reconstructions of adjoining pyramid temples provide a new but coherent view of these structures. Instead of serving as mortuary structures for the king's burial, they are now seen as functioning temples belonging to the Ark of the royal person. Ancient Egyptians saw the pyramid, often known as Achet, Horizon, or Place of Ark, as a symbol of the king's body, permanently constructed of the tensest physical substances and the highest magic. This is clear from the names that the ancient Egyptians attributed to the pyramids. The places of Unas are excellent, the perfection of Pepi is established, and the perfection of Merenra appears. The Ark, as a divine principle, was thought to exist as a pyramidion, a pyramidal stone depicting the structure placed within a pyramid temple rather than the apex of the pyramid to emanate its stellar powers. In this scenario, the king has genuinely become a god among the living, and the attendant priesthood maintains the temple of this heavenly being, a house of eternity performing its ultimate mandate of making gods. The esoteric physiology actuated by stellar transformation makes sense of the unique arrangement of chambers and passageways in the Dynasty IV Pyramid of Khufu, the Great Pyramid. The pyramid's architecture reflects the body of its ancestor, and the chambers and passageways reflect the divine realms where he lives and travels since he has opened the way between the physical and spiritual worlds through this embodiment. The unfinished chamber below the base of Pyramid A represents the resting place for the cart, the deepest part of the earth, and the place of its purification. Ascending from this region, B, oriented to the north polar sky, symbolically represents the ascent from physical existence through the doors of heaven, where the initiate assumes lunar and solar identities. Transformations begin in the limestone vaulted-roofed Queen's Chamber, C, where the car is restored in a transformation effected through a monolithic niche in the eastern wall, and continue under the five-tiered ceiling of the King's Chamber, D, where the bar begins its journey into cosmic realms in a black granite sarcophagus. In the so-called Tunnels of the Great Pyramid, archaeoastronomers noted a simultaneous alignment of sacred stars during the Pyramid Age. The stars of Ursa Minor would be aligned in the northern shaft of the Queen's Chamber, C, while Sobdet would be positioned in the southern shaft. Alpha Draconis, Thuban, is aligned to the northern shaft of the King's Chamber while Al-Nitok, the brightest star in Orion's belt, appears in the southern shaft, D. The constellation's four stars, which make up the Little Dipper Bowl, were known to the Egyptians as the Shemsu, representing the sacred fraternity that guided the passage from mortal to immortal existences. The synchronization of these cosmic asterisms symbolizes the genesis of the solar system. In this house of eternity, the four points in the sky symbolize the fusion of the four spiritual worlds and the four spiritual principles of the body. In addition, some suggest that the four so-called solar boats, buried near each side of the Great Pyramid and other pyramids of the time, served as ritual vehicles of passage through the four cosmic worlds. Although dismantled in ancient times, their reconstitution in the modern age physically and magically may signal the revitalization of the ancient mysteries that enabled this ultimate transformation. In modern times, some suggest that the stellar journeys of the ancients, depicted in mythology and ritual, were actual events accomplished by yet unknown techniques. This idea has been supported and refuted. To return to the Egyptian mind, this premise is simplistic and undermines the vast esoteric philosophy presented in the sacred literature. To them, life was multidimensional, an existence in harmony with all worlds in the creation and with all creatures within them. 
Three initiatory paths offered viable routes for reuniting these worlds and beings in the ecstatic, living moment of brief time, at least for the pilgrim and those who followed. We recognize that life comprises more than the visible dimension. But the difference between the Egyptians and us is that we lack the blueprint to discover what lies beyond. Everyday life is a quest for this mystic consciousness where logic and materialism no longer rule our perceptions. Though alternative philosophies and traditional cultures are widely accepted today, we are still disconnected from natural life and our intuitions, affecting our future peace of mind and confidence. Inevitably, the ineffable image of Egypt comes forward in our collective reveries with the implication that perhaps lost treasures will be discovered or long-hidden knowledge will be uncovered, and that such events will provide the antidote to our longings. Despite these unfulfilled expectations, such dreams persist, asserting that ancient mysteries will indeed be solved in our day and to our benefit. People who have directly sought knowledge about Egypt's sacred tradition, mythology, and religious practices find these topics appealing, but their functions are unclear, considering what is presented in museums and academic publications. The inscrutable formulas promised eternal life and enlightenment to men and women long gone from the earthly sphere, and they seem inconceivable to achieve in the present. In addition, Restoring an ancient spiritual practice appears daunting, and few people have sought it earnestly because the difficulty may not be worth the intangible benefits. Egypt's spiritual practice can be revived, words and gestures are documented, and the art and architecture of sacred sites have been studied ad infinitum. All lacking is a spirit of acceptance, willingness, and participation. In the companion volume to this work, Instructions, preparatory rites, and ceremonial observances meet this need. Several years were spent in investigation, study, and practice, but they were characterized by a passion for pursuing the divine life just as the ancient Egyptians did. Over time, the results were disclosed and practiced as widely as possible so that contemporary individuals could enjoy the benefits of authentic spiritual practice in the ancient canon. For this reason, the whole praxis for maintaining an inner temple and a living liturgy has the Neteru answer every summons and the certainty that they appear at the right time and any place dedicated to their nature and work. True initiates can enter the three transformation paths again and again. Thank you.